Section four of Just Sixteen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Claire. Snowy Peter. The weather was very cold, though it was not Christmas yet, and to the great delight of the cane children, December had brought an early and heavy fall of snow. Older people were sorry. They grieved for the swift vanishing of the lovely Indian summer, for the blighting of the last flowers, chrysanthemums, snowberries, bittersweet, and for the red leaves, so pretty, but a few days since, which were now blown about and battered by the strong wind. But the children wasted no sympathy on either leaves or berries. A snowstorm seemed to them just then better than anything that ever grew on bush or tree, and they reveled in it all the long afternoon, without a thought of what it had cost the world. It was a deep snow. It lay over the lawn six inches on a level. In the hollow by the fence the drifts were at least two feet deep. There was no lack of building material, therefore, when Reggie proposed that they should all go to work and make a fort. Such a wonderful fort as it turned out to be! It had walls and bastions and holes for cannon. It had cannon, too, all made of snow. It had a gateway just like a real fort, and a flagstaff and a flag. The staff was a tall, slender column of snow, and they poured water over it, and it froze and became a long pole of glittering ice. The flag had a swallow-tail and was icy, too. Reggie had been in New London and Newport the last summer. He had seen real fortifications and knew how they should look. Under his direction the little ones built a glacis. Some of you will know what that is. The steep, slippery grass slope which lies beneath the fort walls and is so hard to climb. This glacis was harder yet. Snow is better than grass for defensive purposes, if only it would last. Now let's make the soldiers, shouted little Paul, as the last shovel full of snow was spread on the glacis and smoothed down. Oh, Paul, we can't. There won't be time, said Elma, the biggest girl, glancing apprehensively at the sun, which was nearing the edge of the sky. It must be five o'clock, and Nurse will call us almost right away. Oh, bother! I wish the days weren't so short, said Paul discontentedly. Let's make one man anyway, just for a sentry, you know. There ought to be a sentry to take care of the fort, can't we, Elma? Yes, only we must hurry. The small crew precipitated itself on the drift. None of them were cold, for exercise had warmed their blood. The little ones gathered great snowballs and rolled them up to the fort, while the big ones shaped and moulded. In a wonderfully short time the man was completed, eyes, nose and all, and the gun in his hand. A pipe was put into his mouth, a cocked hat on his head. Elmer curled his hair a little. Susan Sunflower, as the round-faced younger girl was called for fun, patted and smoothed his cheeks and forehead with her warm little hands. They made boots for him, and a coat with buttons on the tail-pocket. He was a beautiful man indeed. Just as the last touch was given, a window opened, and Nurse's head appeared, the very thing the children had been dreading. "'Come, children, come in to supper,' she called out across the snow. "'It's nearly half-past five. You ought to have come in half an hour ago. Miss Susan, stop working in that snow. Nasty cold stuff. You'll catch your death.' Master Reggie, make the little boys hurry, please. There was never any appeal from Nurse Freeman's decisions, least of all now when Papa and Mamma were both away and she ruled the house as its undisputed autocrat. Even Reggie, on the verge of twelve, dare not disobey her. 
She was English and a martinet, and had been in charge of the children all their lives. But she was kind as well as strict, and they loved her. Reluctantly, the little troop prepared to go. They picked up the shovels and baskets, for Nurse Freeman was very particular about fetching things in and putting them in their places. They took a last regretful look at their fort. Paul climbed the wall for one more jump down. Little Harry indulged in a final slide across the glacis. Susan Sunflower stroked the sentinel's hand. Good night, Snowy Peter, they cried in chorus, for that was the name they had agreed upon for their soldier. Then they ran across the lawn in a long scurrying line like a covey of birds, and there was a scraping of feet on the porch. The side doors closed with a bang, and they were gone. Left to himself, Snowy Peter stood still in his place beside the gateway of the fortification. Snowmen usually do stand still, at least till the time comes for them to melt and run away, so there was nothing strange in that. What was singular was that about an hour after the children had left him, when dusk had closed in over the house and the leafless trees, and Fort Kane had grown a vague, dim shape, he slowly turned his head. It was as though the fingers of little Susan had communicated something of their warmth and fullness of life to the poor senseless figure while working over it, and this influence was beginning to take effect. He turned his head and looked in the direction of the house. All was dark except for the hall lamp below, which shone through the glass panes above the door, and for two windows in the second story out of which streamed a strong yellow light. These were the windows of the nursery where at the moment the children were eating their supper. Snowy Peter remained for a time in motionless silence looking at the window. Then his body slowly began to turn, following the movement of its head. He lifted one stiff, ill-shaped foot and moved a step forward. Then he lifted the other and took another step. His left arm dangled uselessly. The right hand held out the gun which Paul had made and which was of the most curious shape. The tracks which he left in the snow as he crossed the lawn resembled the odd waddling tracks of a flat-footed elephant as much as anything else. It took him a long, long time to cross the space over which the light feet of the children had run in two minutes. Each step seemed to cost him a mighty effort. The right leg would quiver for a moment, then wave wildly to and fro, then with a sort of galvanic jerk project itself, and the whole body, with a pitch and a lurch, would plunge forward heavily till brought up again in an upright position by the advanced leg. After that, the left leg would take its turn, and the process be repeated. There was no spring, no supple play to the joints. In fact, Snowy Peter had no joints. His young creators had left him out while constructing him. At last he reached the wall of the house, and stood beneath the windows where the yellow light was burning. This had been the goal of his desires. But alas, now that he had attained the coveted position, he could not look in at the windows. He was far too short. Desperation lent him energy. A stout lattice was nailed against the house, up which in summer a flowering clematis twined and clustered. Seizing this, Snowy Peter began to climb. Up one bar after another, he slowly and painfully went, lifting his heavy feet and clinging tightly with his poor stiff hands. His gun stock snapped in the middle. His cocked hat sustained many contusions. Even his nose had more than one hard knock, but he had the heart of a hero whom neither danger nor difficulty nor personal inconvenience can deter, and at last his head was on a level with the nursery window-sill. 
It was a pleasant sight that met his eyes. No one had slept in the nursery since Paul had grown big enough for a bed of his own, and though it kept its own name, it was in reality only a big, cheerful upstairs sitting-room, where lessons could be studied, meals taken, and Nurse Freeman sit and do her mending and be on hand, always for one who needed her. Now that Mr. and Mrs. Kane were absent, the downstairs rooms looked vacant and dreary, and the children spent all their evenings in the nursery from preference. A large fire burned briskly in the ample grate. A kettle hissed and bubbled on the hob. On the round table where the lamp stood was a row of bright little tin basins, just emptied of the smoking hot bread and milk which was the usual nursery supper. Nurse was cutting slices from a big brown loaf and buttering them with nice yellow butter. There was also some gingerbread, and by way of special and particular treat, a pot of strawberry jam, to which Paul at that moment was paying attention. He had scooped out such an enormous spoonful as to attract the notice of the whole party, and just as Snowy Peter raised his white staring eyes above the sill, Reggie called out, "'Hello, I say! Leave a little of that for somebody else, will you?' "'Piggy-wiggy!' remarked Harry indignantly. "'And it's your second help, too!' "'Master Paul, I'm surprised at you,' observed Nurse Freeman severely, taking the big spoonful away from him. "'There, that's quite enough.' And she put half the quantity on the edge of his plate and gave the other half to Susan. "'That's not fair,' remonstrated Paul. "'When I've been working so hard, and it's so cold, and when I like jam so, and when it's awfully good besides—' "'Jam? What is jam?' thought Snowy Peter. He pressed his cold nose closer to the glass. "'We all worked hard, Paul,' said Elmer, "'and we all like jam as much as you do. "'May I have some more, Nursie?' "'I wonder how poor Snowy Peter feels all alone out there in the garden,' said Susan Sunflower. "'He must be very cold, poor fellow.' "'Ha! Oh, he won't mind it,' declared Paul, with his mouth full of bread and jam. "'Oh, yes, I do. I mind it very much,' murmured Snowy Peter to himself, but he had no voice with which to make an outward noise.' "'Won't you come out and see him to-morrow, Nursie?' went on Susan. "'He's the best man we ever made. He's quite beautiful. "'He's got a pipe and a hat and curly hair and buttons on his coat. "'I'm sure you'll like him.' Snowy Peter reared himself straighter on the lattice. He was proud to hear himself thus commended. "'If he could only talk and walk, he'd be just as good as a live person, really he would, Nursie,' said Elmer. "'Wouldn't it be fun if he could?' We'd bring him in to tea, and he'd sit by the fire and warm his hands, and it would be such fun. He'd melt fast enough in this warm room, observed Reggie, while Nurse Freeman added, That's nonsense, Miss Elmer. How could a man like that walk? And I don't want no nasty snow images in my nursery, melting and slopping up the carpet. Snowy Peter listened to this conversation with a painful feeling at his heart. He felt lonely and forlorn. No one really liked him. To the children he was only a thing to be played with and joked about. Nurse Freeman called him a nasty snow image. But though he was hurt and troubled in his spirit, the warm, bright nursery, the sound of laughter and human voices, even the fire, that foe most fatal of all things made of snow, had an irresistible attraction for him. He could not bear the idea of returning to his cold post of duty beside the lonely fort and under the wintry midnight sky. So he still clung to the lattice and looked in at the window with his unwinking eyes and a great longing to be inside and to sit down by the cheerful fire and be treated with kindness, 
took possession of him. But what is the use of such ambitions to a snowman? Long, long he clung to the lattice and lingered and looked in. He saw the two little ones when first the sandman began to drop his grains into their eyes, and noticed how they struggled against the sleepy influence, and tried to keep awake. He saw those freemen carry them off, and presently fetch them back in their flannel nightgowns to say their prayers beside the fire. Snowy Peter did not know what it meant as they knelt with their heads in Nursie's lap, and their pink toes curled up in the glow of the heat, but it was a pretty sight to see, and he liked it. After they were taken away for the second time, he watched Elma as she studied her geography lesson for the morrow, while Reggie did sums on his slate, and Paul played at checkers with Susan Sunflower. Snowy Peter thought he should like to do sums, and he was sure it would be nice to play checkers, and jump squares and chuckle and finally beat, as Paul did. Alas, checkers are not for snowmen. Paul went to bed when the game was ended, and Susan, and a little later the other two followed. Then Nurse Freeman raked out the fire and put ashes on top, and blew the lights out and went away herself, leaving the nursery dark and silent except for a dim glow from the ash-smothered grate and the low ticking of the clock. Some time after she departed, when the lights in the other windows had all been extinguished, and the house was as dark inside as the night was outside, Snowy Peter raised his hand and pushed gently at the sash. It was not fastened, and it opened easily and without much noise. Then a heavy leg was thrown over the sill, and stiffly and painfully the snow soldier climbed into the room. He wanted to feel what it was like to sit in a chair beside a table as human beings sit, and he was extremely curious about the fire. Alas, he could not sit. He was made to stand, but not to bend. When he tried to seat himself, his body lay in a long inclined plane, with the shoulder blades resting on the back of the chair, and the legs sticking out straight before him, an attitude which was not at all comfortable. The chair creaked beneath him and tipped dangerously. It was with difficulty that he got again into his natural position, and he trembled with fear in every limb. It had been a narrow escape. A fine thing it would have been if I had fallen over and not been able to get on my feet again, he thought. How that terrible old woman would have swept me up in the morning. Then cautiously and timidly he put his finger into the nearly empty jam pot, rubbed it round till a little of the sweet, sticky juice adhered to it, and raised it to his lips. It had no taste to him. Jam was a human joy, in which he could not share, and he heaved a deep sigh. Drops began to stand on his forehead. Though there was so little fire left, the room was much warmer than the outer air, and snowy Peter had begun to melt. A great and sudden fear took possession of him. As fast as his heavy limbs would allow, he hastened to the window. It was a great deal harder to go down the lattice than to climb up it, and twice he almost lost his footing, but at last he stood safely on the ground. The window he left open, he had no strength left for extra exertion. With increasing difficulty he stumbled across the lawn to his old position beside the gateway of the fort. A sense of duty had sustained him thus far, for a sentry must be found at his post, but now that he was there all power seemed to desert his limbs. Little Susan's warm fingers had perhaps put just so much life into him, and no more, as would enable him to do what he had done, as a clock had run, but its appointed course of hours, and must then stop. 
His head turned no longer in the direction of the house. His eyes looked immovably forward. A straight, stiff hand held out the broken gun. Two o'clock sounded from the church steeple. Three, four. The earliest dawn crept slowly into the sky. It broadened to a soft pink flush. A sudden wind rose and stirred, and, as if quickened by its impulse, up came the yellow sun. Smoke began to curl from the house chimneys. Doors opened, voices sounded, but still Snowy Peter did not move. "'Why, what is this?' cried Nurse Freeman, hurrying into the nursery from her bedroom, which was near. "'How comes this window to be open? I left the fire covered up a purpose, that my dears might have a warm room to breakfast in. It's as cold as a barn. It must be that careless Maria. She's no head and no thoughtfulness, that girl.' Maria denied the accusation, but Nurse was not convinced. Windows did not open without hands, she justly observed. But what hands opened this particular window, Nurse Freeman never, never knew. Presently, another phenomenon claimed her attention. There on the carpet, close to the table where the jam pot stood, was a large slop of water. It marked the spot where the snowman had begun to melt the night before. "'It's the snow the children brought in on their boots,' suggested Maria. "'Boots!' cried Nurse Freeman incredulously. "'Boots! When I changed them myself and put on their warm slippers!' She shook her head portentously as she wiped up the slop. "'There's something unaccountable in it all,' she said. So there was, but it was a great deal more unaccountable than Nurse Freeman suspected. When the children ran out after lessons to play in their fort, their time for wonderment came. How oddly Snowy Peter looked, not at all as he did the day before. His figure had somehow grown rubbed and shabby. The buttons were gone from his coat-tails. The gun they had taken such pains with was broken in two. Where was the other half? What's that on his finger? demanded Elmer. It looks as if it were bleeding. It was the juice of the strawberry jam. Paul first tasted delicately with the tip of his tongue, then he boldly bit the finger off and swallowed it. "'Why, what made you do that?' asked the others. "'Jam,' was a succinct reply. "'Jam? Impossible! How could our snowman get at any jam? It couldn't be that.' "'Tastes like it anyway,' remarked Paul. "'I can't think what has happened to spoil him so,' said Elmer plaintively. "'Do you think a loose horse can have got into the yard during the night? See how the snow was trampled down.' "'Hello, look here!' shouted Reggie. This is the queerest thing yet. There's the other half the gun sticking out halfway up the clematis frame. It must have been a horse, said Elmer, who, having once settled on the idea, found it hard to give it up. Couldn't be anything else. Oh, yes, it could. It was no horse. It was me, said Snowy Peter, in the depths of his being, where a little warmth still lingered. He's very ugly now, I think. See how he's melted all along his shoulder, and his hair has got out of curl, and his nose is awful, pronounced Susan Sunflower. Let's pull him to pieces and make a nicer man. Oh, oh, groaned Snowy Peter with a final effort of consciousness. His inward sufferings did not affect his features in the least, and no one suspected that he was feeling anything. Paul knocked the pipe out of his mouth with a snowball. Harry, with a great push, rolled him over. The crisp snow parted and flew. The children hurrayed. In three minutes he was a shapeless mass, and nobody ever knew or guessed 
how for a few brief hours he had lived the life of a human being, being agitated by hope and moved by desire. So ended Snowy Peter, and his sole mourner was little Susan, who remarked, After all, he was nice before he got spoiled, and I wish Nursey had seen him. End of section 4 Recording by Claire